From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Heather, welcome to Total SF and our Always Be My Maybe tribute with Vanessa Hua. And um, and our movie's coming up February 13th. Yes, I'm so excited that I got to choose it this time. Um, I'm getting you back. Although you like this movie, so it's not. I really like this movie. Back. You you make this like this is a revenge <laughs> thing. I'm totally it's happy revenge to do in this my movie. mind because I hated our last movie and I love this one. Okay, well I'll give you that. Um, February thirteenth, seven p.m. Watch it at home. Sadly, we cannot be together yet, although we hope to before long. We have two hashtags, so chat with us on Twitter while you're watching. Um, it, one is hashtag I punched Keanu Reeves, and the other one is I love the Richmond. Two different vibes, two different hashtags. Yeah, I Punched Keanu Reeves is for the movie. We may do another haiku challenge. We'll have people talking about the movie. Try to get it trending. We've gotten our last couple uh, hashtags trending during the movies <laughs> we've watched. People will be um, really surprised about why everybody's punching Keanu Reeves. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it'll be it'll be excellent. And then I love the Richmond. That's like our hashtag forever. I yes. mean, we're going to support the Richmond. I'm already thinking about... Um, just heading down there, you know, in a day or two and, and checking out a bunch of places. We've been on Twitter. People have been telling us their favorite places in the Richmond and where to go, where to spend your money, help indie businesses. Mm-hmm. So um, I love the Richmond. Yeah. So we encourage you to do both celebrate the Richmond and watch Always Be My Maybe with us. So super excited about our guests. Vanessa is um, an author. She's a Chronicle columnist and um, a good friend. You and I have both known her for quite some time. A River of Stars is her novel, and Deceit and Other Possibilities is her book full of um, short stories. And that has a reissue. She's working on another book. We talked to her about a lot of that. We actually start off talking to her a little bit about working during the pandemic. And she's in a similar situation as us. She has kids, but she's also researching her next book. Yeah, I don't know how she does everything. She's very productive and very successful. So I'm glad she made the time to talk to her old buddies. Yeah. Vanessa Hua coming up. Uh, Always Be My Maybe tribute coming up. I'm Peter Hartlob. Here with Heather Knight, and this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Welcome back, Heather, and welcome, Vanessa Hua, my good friend. Uh, We go way back. How far do we go back? Like, Uh, I think... The, the last year of the last millennium, 1999, I was actually just thinking about how you used to break dance. You would have break dance offs in that alleyway outside between the Chronicle and the Examiner. <laughs> what? How did I miss this? I go back with Vanessa even farther to college, so I'm just going to say. Yes, uh, Heather and I were both features editors uh, at the Stanford Daily. <laughs> Oh, yeah. wow. You have, I, I didn't think you were going to trump me on this, Heather. You have more history with Vanessa than I do. Yes. I'm gonna get make things like awkward to start, Vanessa. Um, I went to pick up your reissue of Deceit and Other Possibilities. Um, you are also the author of A River of Stars. I'm actually holding these up, but this is audio, so it's not helping <laughs> your sales. Uh, I'm like, I'm so proud of you. Like, I remember 
you talking about books and you're like just like a full-on author I, I went into the bookstore and i didn't even have to have the guy look it up he like knew where your book was and then i also got uh this is amazing kathy seligman's at the edge of the hate who also worked with me when i was hired at the examiner in 1999 but i just want to start by saying congratulations vanessa oh thanks so much peter um and yeah i actually just did an event with uh, kathy the other night and it was so great to be able to sort of um, talked, uh, you know, she's also a journalist and novelist. And um, I, I would wager that there were many of us in the newsroom who were secretly printing out short stories on the printer and rushing up to <laughs> grab it before anyone um, caught us uh, partaking of the office supplies. But but anyway, um, to see other possibilities originally came out in 2016, but then was re-released last year with a new publisher, Counterpoint, uh, wonderful a publisher based out of Berkeley with three new stories. Um, so an expanded edition. And it was wonderful to kind of um, not only to sort of like take a look at the stories, um, the original 10, but uh, and then kind of work my way through them. I, what I actually heard is that um, playwrights will routinely kind of go through their scripts um, to make sure that the thing that I don't know the jokes or the references still land, and so um, it was interesting with a book. You think it's sort of much more set in stone, and then to be able to revisit it this way um, was really enjoyable. And then, of course, to be able to kind of reach a whole new audience um, with with the short stories. Um, you know, actually, just at the end of the year, I, I found out that one of the stories was assigned to a, a class at Columbia University, an Asian American lit class. And for a final project, one of the students uh, chose an excerpt of the story and did a graphic novel, a graphic adaptation. It, it blew my mind. I just want to say, Vanessa, that I love all of your work. I read your columns and I read River of Stars. You came to my book club. So did Peter's <laughs> wife, Kelly, um, and all of your articles and everything. But I, like, adore your short stories. Of all everything that you've written, this is my favorite. I just think you're a master of short stories. Thank you so much. Because uh, often there are people who say things like, I just don't read short stories. <laughs> I'm going to make a pitch for short stories and say that. Now they're even better because nobody has attention spans <laughs> Exactly. Anymore, so this is perfect. Thank you. Thank you. So you're working, you're working on your next book, too. Um, I understand it involves Chinatown. What's it like in the pandemic working on your next book and um, just the research element? How's that going? So my uh, next novel is called Forbidden City. It is slated to come out in spring 2022. And I was just... Uh, book club. Book club, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, you may or may not know that Chairman Mao was a fan of both ballroom dancing and of young women. And so my uh, novel uh, examines, you know, looks into this world um, through the eyes of one of these uh, young women on the eve of the Cultural Revolution. And, I mean, it's a... I first got the idea for this story back in 2007, when I was still, you know, a daily news reporter. Um, and so I've been, you know, I've taken trips to China to do research, read countless books. Um, but, but I think what was most interesting in the last year um, for someone, you know, the chairman, for someone so beloved and famed in his own country, he was uh, so very alone. And I think something about vulnerability and loneliness is something that we could all think about during the pandemic experience. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, it'll be interesting. People 
have, you know, keep asking like, well, what's, what kind of art is going to come out of the pandemic? I don't necessarily think it's going to be some sort of thinly veiled uh, take on the events of last year. I think it is going to seep into our creative work or songs, books, movies, whatever, in ways that are shaped by how we went through this year, even if they're not specifically about um, this past year. I'm wondering, growing up, you know, as a teen and even later, um, if you saw yourself in movies and TV um, and and, and if, if you did, what was it? And if you didn't, what'd you think about that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And so I'm, um, I'm, I'm 45. I, you know, I grew up in the uh, 80s and 90s. And really, the only sort of uh, memorable or notable Asian American representation in sort of popular culture was Long Duck Dong Jesus. <laughs> from 16 Candles. Right. I mean, I, I and, and so and I don't think it was until maybe high school um, that I, I remember reading um, an Amy Tan essay in Seventeen magazine and just being sort of like bawled over like, oh, there's someone <laughs> with like talking about experiences that I can, you know, that are familiar, even if they weren't exactly mine. And so um, I, I think, you know, from early on, I, I always wanted to be a writer. But, um, you know, honestly, there was a time in college where I thought if I want to be an author, capital A, it means I have to write um, only white characters. Like, and, you know, I was writing these really terrible and Beatty knockoffs about like, you know, uh, dissolute women in New York and it's <laughs> but then at a certain point I realized like no actually whether it's in journalism or in fiction I want to write the story that only I can tell or I want to write the stories that I wish I grew up being able to read yeah well I I'm going to get a little bit into the history of always be my maybe but um, I, I think that's a lot of what was going on with Ali Wong and, and Randall Park I mean they knew each other um, they both had connections through fresh off the boat and they had been talking about it for years and they had kind of at some point in an interview it came out and Vulture jumped on this um, quote that hey we have this movie we've been working on for a long time it's going to be an Asian when Harry met Sally and Vulture wrote a piece like somebody's got to make this rom-com from Ali Wong and Randall Park and Right around then, Netflix is pretty new. They're starting to put money into movies, but not a lot of money. So I think it was super attractive to them. Um, Ali Wong, I don't know, like, when you first heard of her, she was in San Francisco, grew up in Pacific Heights. First Chronicle mention is um, Asian Pacific Islander Comedy Showcase in 2006 in our Datebook section, a little listing. And she got famous really quick. I mean, locally famous, like local comedy famous. Started at like open mics. And then within a year, she's at the punchline and is kind of the second and third bill on the punchline. Um, so she rose really quick and got to LA and became famous for stand up and books and then got this movie made. And um, not a lot of money. We're going to talk a little bit later about the San Francisco parts, but um, they only could shoot for seven days in San Francisco, and she and Randall Park both wanted this to be a super authentic movie. But they brought in um, Dan the Automator and Lyrics Born to do the music. Um, they found a lot of ways to kind of be creative and just maximize the San Francisco, even though a lot of it's shot in Vancouver. So that's kind of the history of Ali Wong and the movie. I wanted to ask you guys, 
what do you like about it? What worked for you? Do you remember seeing it the first time? And what jumped out at you that you liked? I most like that it's my pick for our next Total SF movie night, <laughs> and it does not include spaceships or whales. You just have to but- <laughs> knock Star Trek for like in every single thing we do now. You just did yes, it in Fifth Admission. Every text uh-huh. has a. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Vanessa, just as a backstory, Peter and I usually agree. We collaborate on the choice for the next Total SF movie screening. And he just announced last time he was picking Star Trek Four, So I was like, fine, then I'm picking the next one. And then I realized it would be around Valentine's Day. So obviously, Always Be My Baby. Always Be My Maybe was the choice. But I remember watching it when it first came out on Netflix and loved it. It's so funny. I love Ali Wong. I've seen all her comedy specials. And um, I just thought the jokes were amazing and, of course, love the San Francisco vibe. And I'm a big fan of romantic comedies. So this is like the best movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah. And, and it's not, not only is it coming out, um, are you doing total SF right near Valentine's year? It's also uh, Chinese uh, Asian lunar New year. So another yeah, it's uh, perfect, perfect um, way more perfect than the last year. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it, I have friends, I've always sort of joked that Asian America really is 60 degrees of separation. Like I know of John Cho through, like multiple people or say um, Ali Wong and Randall Park uh, were really well known around UCLA where they were in a theater troupe together. Um, my friend was saying that basically like Randall was the TA that all the girls like had huge crushes on. <laughs> so um, in, in a way they've been, you know, they've been vibing off each other and, and like their creative work together you know, predates even sort of Allie's rise to fame here. And, and even, I don't know Allie, but like somehow I know that she went to university high school. Like it's, it's like those degrees of of separation. And so I think you can really tell um, that there are those um, thoughtful touches throughout the movie, not only of San Francisco, but of Asian American culture um, where it's not like neon sign. Look, look, we're, we're talking about Asian American culture, but like the fact that, Um, they take their shoes off before they go in and out of a house or that they're using scissors in the kitchen. Um, Just, you know, all these um, lovely touches that are inherent to the sort of to the character and to the texture of the movie. Um, And as far as when I first heard about it, I think it was uh, it was like some promo cover on a magazine and it wasn't going to come out for another six months. And like already my friends and I were like, starting, you know, text chains, like, we have to see this. And I think we watched it as a, um, like a group text party while it was, you know, when it came on. And so, um, you know, we, you know, we'd all loved um, Ali Wong's, um, uh, you know, comedy specials and then, you know, Randall Park on Fresh Off the Boat. So it was something that we eagerly awaited and sort of all that anticipation paid off. You know, she had um, had these two, absolutely breakout comedy specials um uh hold on baby cobra baby cobra thank you and hard that's when she was really pregnant in a tiny little sequin dress (laughs) and then i remember it hard knock wife and um i think it was more off the strength of that she has a small role in american housewife that you know my kids watch it and i think she's like just grossly underused and she had a book but i think it's these comedy specials that gave her the clout to do this um and i thought one thing that they did fantastically is seven days 
you know, shot where they could. They fit so much Bay Area into it. And then what they couldn't fit in, they sort of snuck it in in other ways. Um, Souls of Mischief, 93 to Infinity, is played twice. And I'm sure they did that just to save money on the soundtrack. Out there. But right now, you know, we're going to up you on how we just chill. Down the seven digits, call up Bridget. Her man's a midget. Plus, she got fringe. Oh, I can dig it. Here's a 40 swigging. You know it's fridging. I got him chilling in the cooler. Break out the But that's just like a classic East Bay, um, kind of old school rap. Um, they, uh, uh, you know, just little things. They've, they've got, uh, you know, they go by the four star and it's just in there for a second, but it's there. Um, the Richmond scenes, the scenes of their homes, which I think were really the core to this relationship, their relationship to each other and their relationship to their parents. They made sure that that was shot in the Richmond and their homes look like the Richmond. Um, I thought, too, like, one thing that was really smart was to focus not just on the relationship between each other, but really the relationship with their parents. And I really feel like that, more than anything, brought a lot of authenticity into it, added by the fact that everybody who plays a parent or a friend in this is just so excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely love Michelle Buteau, who plays Veronica, uh, Ali Wong's character's assistant. And uh, I think it's James Saito plays Randall's dad. I mean, there's just so many sweet little moments in there that anything else that maybe, you know, because they didn't have enough money or they had to shoot in Vancouver or whatever that is a criticism kind of melts away for me because those core relationships are so good. Well, and if we're talking about things we like, we cannot forget Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yes. As you may notice on my shelf, my oh. friends got me a sequined flippy pillow of Keanu from the movie. Um, wow. And How do I get one of those? I know. It's 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 awesome. It's, he's mesmerizing. Um, but, I mean, I think it wasn't just um, – so he was great in that role, you know, for all the sort of ways where he could be sort of like um, – you know, making fun of himself. And but we should I mention think... it's a cameo role. It's a surprise, you know, if you haven't seen yeah. the movie, but now everybody knows it. Two scenes, and he plays this surprise boyfriend to um, Sasha. But he plays himself. Yeah, he plays himself, and he makes fun of himself um, in just glorious ways. May I ask, do you have any dishes that play with time? The concept of time. Ah, yes. We have a meat course of venison sous vide. Comes with headphones so you can hear the sound of the exact animal you are about to consume. Illustrating nature's life-to-death cycle. <laughs> and of course, everything you see on the table tonight is edible. Yes! <laughs> Wait, so it's this? No, not the napkin, sir. Don't eat the napkin, Marcus. Well, we all, Keanu belongs to all of us, but especially <laughs> Asian Americans, again, who always are looking for uh, for actors who are, who are part Asian, you know, like I think I, I kept a running tally of that growing up, like Phoebe Cates, right? So, 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 um, so Keanu, we, 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 we claim him, he is, he is, he is special to us. I've read a few interviews about how that happened and he was their first choice and they had like a second, third and fourth choice because they didn't think he'd say yes. Everything that I've read makes me love Keanu Reeves more. He said yes. He was a fan of Ali Wong's and was just like, almost like he was the one who was humbled to be in their, you know, movie. And and uh, he took two days off of John Wick 
flew to San Francisco and they did it all in two days. And they sent him script parts and were worried like, oh, geez, you know, he's got a reputation. He makes big movies. How much fun of him can we make? And he would just push it further. That scene with the glasses where and he pulls him off and says, oh, no, it's uh, it's for a role. And he puts his finger through it. and It's this little <laughs> comedy bit. That was his idea. So um, he was totally willing to play off himself. And I love Keanu Reeves even more. We'll be right back after this short break. Heather, what what else did you like about it? Um, everything. I love Ali Wong, Randall Park. I love the Hello Peril scenes. Um, the music's really good. Um, loved, you know, they they set you in San Francisco right away. Like there's a cable car in Golden Gate Bridge almost immediately. Um, loved the, the city scenes. And I thought there were a lot of funny moments, memorable lines like um, Randall's dad he recommends to Ali Wong, invest in lettuce. Um, that is, <laughs> you can't survive on kale forever. Um, just funny little lines like that. I, I thought the whole thing just really worked. Yeah, Hello Peril, we've got to mention that. Um, best band in a movie. I don't know if I can yeah. name a better one. I mean, Citizen... Like, I would go see them in real life. Yeah, yeah we were um, we were actually listening to the soundtrack. We were in the city over the weekend, and I'm like, wait, this, this slaps. Like, yeah. this is really good. It's like the lyrics, the beat, no all of it. Smoking up a harvest. Welcome to the city that used to be free of suckers till the techies came in Hummers and colonized the gutters. If I see another hipster opening a coffee shop, I'll make a body drop with my signature karate chop. And, and there's an authenticity yeah. to it. I mean, just playing little clubs in San Francisco. Um, Dan the Automator, who's a San Franciscan and is just absolutely a beat warlord. I mean, he's done so many collaborations. He worked on those songs and was involved with the soundtrack and he's a local guy. There were a lot of local people involved. Um, I love this. Ali Wong talks about the farmer's market scene, and this is a quote in the Chronicle. Oh, yeah. It was so funny. When we were shooting the farmer's market scene, I bumped into these old ladies, these elderly Chinese women, and they don't apologize to me. That wasn't scripted. (laughs) We're shooting, and they don't give two shits about all the cameras around them. They just (laughs) wanted to get their groceries as fast as possible, as old Chinese women do, shove the shit out of me, and I thought... This is great. I laugh so hard. That's so San Francisco. And she's talking about the, of course, the United Nations Plaza farmers mm-hmm. market scene. It's a short scene, but um, uh, you know that just. But I, I like that. I, I like that scene also because it's like it's not a touristy farmers market. It's right. So it's, yeah. it's like where people um, go to get their, you know, what they need every week, and it's. But it's like definitely like the parts of San Francisco that don't necessarily, you know, get portrayed in movies usually. Yeah, yeah, I really love that because I felt although I think we're going to get to some of the criticisms of what didn't look like San Francisco. That obviously was like so authentic San Francisco. Um, and you would never see that scene in, in a movie normally. So I really love that. Oh, and just just one other thing, um, you know, they would perform in the local neighborhood um, spot like, you know, somewhere in the Richmond and they kept saying like, but people don't know us across town. And, you know, they're, they're, and it was like a, you know, shot, they showed some street corner off 24th street in the mission. And it was just so funny, like as small as San Francisco is, uh, it can feel like, ah, that's the other side of town. No one knows us. Right. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. And, and Randall Park has a comedy and a music background and Ali Wong has the comedy background. And I, I feel like 
in a way that wasn't distracting, their comedy and their blend of humor really works its way into it. Um, Ali Wong talks about her parents and talks about her family being cheap and there's the Diana Ross impersonator. What's a Diana Ross impersonator doing at an eight-year-old's <laughs> birthday party? Well, it's cheaper than Beyonce. You know, there's a lot of little gems like that that just felt yes. super authentic, even when the movie kind of was going through some, um, you know, kind of some of the typical things you see in a romance. What? It was not typical. Yeah. But I did love the um, the dad's constant talk about not wanting to tip <laughs> <laughs> Ali Wong's dad. Yeah. How he kept insisting that he would drive her to the airport so she wouldn't have to tip. One more thing I want to mention, the, the food. Um, and I, I almost, I'm going to make sure I link it. Um, we had Solejo review the film for us for The Chronicle, and her review is so excellent. It mentions all of the different food things and these little things that you wouldn't have seen and the little details that they put in there to make it a little bit more authentic. And, uh, and I thought, uh, you know, I... I, I extra effort. Um, clearly it was a passion project. Ali Wong has even said after making it, I don't know if I want to make another movie cause I don't think it's going to be this fun and be this personal. And, um, and, uh, you know, it shows in little ways. Do you guys have oh, other, you know, I think I, I, I think I saw her on, um, did, did you see the David Chang series, um, on Netflix, um, ugly delicious. And I, I think I Ali Wong appeared in one of the episodes. So I think clearly like food is, She's she's very thoughtful and is like thought about you know issues around food and 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 um it's I guess it's no surprise maybe that's one of the other delights of it right she's a restaurateur a celebrity chef and like you sort of get that glamour and sort of um you know and actually just watching people tuck into food at restaurants like I miss that Didn't, don't you all sort of like have this longing of being able to yes. gather like that yeah yeah. yeah. Um, it was a great rewatch, um, and uh, I, I will open up for criticisms, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the locations after this, just just briefly, but um, things that you either didn't like on the first watch or things that kind of linger that um, maybe aren't your favorite parts of the movie. Heather, I'll start with you. This is going to be very short. Um, I really liked everything. The only scene that, like bugged me this is kind of segueing into the locations was um there's one scene where she ali wong and randall park are walking down um a sidewalk and it's supposed to be in the richmond i think but it's all these lampposts that are bright red and it did not you don't see that anywhere in san francisco so obviously that was one of the vancouver scenes and that was one of the only ones that really stood out like you know they're not even trying to pretend that they're in san francisco right now it, well, what struck me was just like the restaurant from the restaurants to the bars. They were just like too big. Like yes. it, they just didn't seem That's true. San Francisco scale. And then my, my husband was like, "Well, what about?" And he named like Farallon. But it's like those are all sort of like gigantic. And Farallon's closed anyway. And it's like that was atypical of of a San Francisco restaurant or locale even the bar where they performed like was way too big like i'm thinking the elbow room where it's like dark right. and cramped um so you know i i mean I, I i love the movie i think um the only thing is like there are sometimes i mean this happens with any san francisco movie i think they kept cutting to the golden gate bridge <laughs> yeah like, so many shots <laughs> so there'd be like we're going to go have a fun night out on the town and suddenly they're like maybe by Fisherman's Wharf, but then suddenly there there's like a flash of the Golden Gate Bridge or like 
she's driving up from LA. It's like flash of the Golden Gate Bridge. I think it's just sort of like they need some visual cue, even though it's like not really near where the rest of the movie. It, you is. know, there was one point where they they cut to the Golden Gate Bridge, and then they cut to the Bay Bridge, and then they cut to the bridge, <laughs> and I'm like, wait, wait a second, how did they? How are they traveling around here? Um, yeah, and there was also the scene, the scene in the beginning when they're little and um, they go out together and they're riding a cable car and then all of a sudden sitting right under the bridge. Um, and then it jumped around a lot and it didn't make any sense geographically. But I forgave them. Yeah, I mean, I totally forgave them. I mean, I especially when you read about what they were up against, seven days, I think it was 11 days total, but seven days of shooting and, you know, I know she wanted to do good luck dim sum and you just can't get cameras in there in a short amount of time. It's hard to shoot in San Francisco. So I found like the second time I watched it, I was a lot more forgiving about that. Um, my, my biggest criticism is, you know, I, I feel like the relationship between the two of them just kind of was almost like secondary. And, and it, it's... It's central to the movie, but to the writing, it felt like they were writing these really authentic things about San Francisco and about relationships between their families. And whenever it came to between the two of them, the speeches felt like almost like they were from another movie. And I also felt like the ending, I mean, they they forced a conflict in there, which a lot of movies do. It, It seemed like it was, they had to get one extra conflict to add another 12 minutes to the movie and get them in New York and have the big speech. Um... I will say those things bothered me more the first time. I think if I were to review this movie the first time, I would have given it like a little man clapping, but not out of the chair. And then the second time, there were so many great parts I was looking forward to, so many little jokes I had missed, and the things that maybe I thought were shortcomings the first time, I didn't even really notice. I think this is just a great, great rewatch. So again, I think it's a really good movie to show um, our... uh, followers on um total sf movie night it will not be divisive at all everybody will like it yeah so we've talked about the use of san francisco but i just wanted to see if anybody wanted to add to that um yeah the red street lamps and kind of a chinatown and then at one point you actually see a bus that is not a muni bus and then i had you know ding 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 flags went up in my head um but, uh, I thought the house, that, that giant house she rented when she came <laughs> to open the restaurant in San Francisco, I was like, where would this even be? I don't know if she's supposed to be in Seacliff, yeah. some mansion, but it was so modern. Um, it didn't look like anything you would find in the city. Oh, yeah. No, I had the same reaction to the mansion or even the restaurant itself. Um, my husband pointed out it had like a vestibule, like a set of doors and then another set of doors. And that's only in places where it's cold. And even though whatever, <laughs> it's raining now, we, we do not need like double vestibule doors. Okay. But we're being way too hard. And then, yes, we're, being and then we're, we're scraping. Yeah. Ali Wong told us in our Chronicle interview, like she was telling us the bus line she took, the one California and the 38 Geary. And I had that feeling like when they're going out on their date, it felt like a total authentic San Francisco date. Um, taking a bunch of buses to get to Burger King, you know, or taking your car to get to Burger King. I just, I I felt like absolutely they did the best with what they could with the time they were there. And every time I watch a movie, I find something new and maybe notice the Clement Street thing a little bit less. Well, or just even there was that heart-to-heart talk he had with his dad at a Korean spa and they're getting a scrub down. And that was something I loved to do before the pandemic. But like, I don't think I've seen another movie that like had that setting i mean 
Eastern Promises, but that was like a crazy naked night. <laughs> yeah. so, so this was like very. Well, I have uh, not seen this. Charming. Oh yeah, the guy Aragon yeah. Uh, tattooed, putting a cigarette out of his tongue. <laughs> anyway, but in this movie, it's this very sweet scrub down with with the um, Randall and his dad. And by the way, that dad like is like the dad in so many other Asian American. <laughs> he looks so movies. familiar. What else has he been in? Like five. I looked at his IMDb like. Like five hundred things you have seen him wow. in four hundred of them. I mean, he did, but but little <laughs> yeah. roles, lot lot of law and order. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. yeah th- 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 but he was he was a dad, in an, and we'll talk about this in a bit. But like, um, Lillian Dash was another rom com that came out um, like around the holidays, and he he was the dad in there too. So every little thing that bugged me, I'm almost ashamed of it now. I remember when I first saw it, I'm like, hey, that's 2003, they're on a date, but that Bay Ferry boat is from like 2017. <laughs> but then you look at it. Only you would notice that. They've got the Amoeba Records t-shirt. He's got the Hyro hat and t-shirts. Um, driving by the four star really quick. Centerpiece scene, that that Keanu scene, is at the Contemporary <laughs> Jewish Museum in the Soma. Oh. Um, so I, I think uh, they did a really good job. I, I, I still will call this like a top flight San Francisco movie, not just for the locations, but for the effort. Yeah. yeah. So Vanessa, I wanted to ask you about um, uh, this movie comes out and kind of what were you expecting and what have you seen in terms of movies like this and maybe this? Yeah, I mean, um, since it came out I, I, um, and then, you know, Crazy Rich Asians, there's been a flood of, of um, or I don't want to say flood, but there's, there's been many like wonderful um, critically acclaimed movies like, um, uh, you know, The Farewell, um, Tiger Tail, um, Minari, which is coming out actually th- this same weekend that Total SF is coming out, and I was able to see a screener, and that's with um, Steve Ben. Um, those are all like amazing movies that work on so many um, different levels. And then there's also um, another favorite of mine um, is Alice Wu's The Half of It, which is a queer Cyrano de Bergerac. They came out um, during the pandemic, and I think it was just um, nominated for Spirit Award. Um, but then also, um, you know, Lillian Dash, as I mentioned, um, I even, I think Lifetime movies, um, this was in my larger friend group, someone was like, we watched a lot of holiday movies this year to sort of get us through <laughs> the holidays, but but they trumpeted like first Asian American um, lead in a rom-com. So I think there, it, it, you know, it goes beyond like novelty to like proof of concept to sort of like, then it's just, you know, but, but I mean, but there's still work to be done. I mean, there is all this controversy over Minari, even though it's set in America with immigrant and um, children, children of immigrants. They still uh, put it the foreign press corps, like uh, put it in the foreign film category. But that doesn't, you know, it doesn't make any sense. So, like, at, at what point will Asian Americans see be seen as fully American? Um, but, uh, you know, I think representation is a huge part of it and you know I'm, I'm so excited for all the sort of books and movies and shows uh to come so i am gonna ask you heather what would you like to see next for ali wong um more stand-up another book i know you're a big fan of her book or more yes, movies i happen to have it right like here. like if you if you could book her schedule um she's such a talent oh you do have your book dear girls and it's a signed copy from green apple oh my books god she loves she signs green lots apple of books. books there. Yeah. yeah, they post um, pictures of her signing books quite often. Oh, so what? 
it's it's an amazing um, memoir, and I heard actually she had considered getting an MFA at some point, but um, but like and, and then the last chapter with her for her husband. Anyway, don't you mean me to horn in? Oh, yeah. okay. I love the book too. I would yeah. like um, her to do a comedy show set in San Francisco that we can actually go to. That's my hope. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to go out and see her? Oh, you mean you game? mean like come back and do like. Four nights at the Warfield or the Masonic. She did want, yeah. She, I think she was at the Masonic not too long ago. I mean, it was a long time ago because yeah. it was before the because pandemic. Because it's pandemic but, um, time, so it was like the tickets were insane. Yeah. yeah, forty-six years ago, she was at the Masonic, and I remember the tickets were super expensive, and I didn't end up trying to get any. Um, but now, of course, I wish I had. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I know she'll come back. She loves it here. Like every interview, she was just paying respects to the um the bay area um when she interviewed with us for always be my maybe um it's even in the story she interviewed with g allen johnson and um he said the first five minutes of the interview is her asking about the punchline because at the time it was Mm -hmm. closing and she even got a little emotional about it so um I, i think even though she's in la she's gonna rep san francisco as as well as anyone down there can yeah yeah so Heather, um, we should plug our movie. We've kind of been doing that for the last half hour. <laughs> but uh, give me the details again. February 13th. This is our eighth, yes. eighth Total SF movie night. Uh, yes. Third. We're hoping for one in person before too <laughs> Before long. too long. But this one's virtual. So watch it at home. It's on Netflix. Press play at 7 p.m. And chat with us on Twitter. Our ha- We're doing two hashtags, right? Yeah. One is I Punched Keanu. Right. I punched Key. I punched Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> and then during the day, we're using hashtag I love the Richmond since it's Valentine's weekend, and we encourage people to go out to the Richmond district and support Green Apple or Toy Boat Toy Boat Cafe. We'll be at the Balboa Theater mid to late afternoon at their pop up. Um, hopefully, uh, Norton the It's It will be there. Yes. Um, uh, now three p.m. That, now that we're back in purple tier, not no longer under shelter in place, I feel like Norton can emerge. Yeah. Now that it's purple tier, and as long as the numbers stay low, Norton will be there. Norton, Norton the It's It, the It's It costume that is the official Total SF mascot, and really the mascot for all of San Francisco, <laughs> um, is basically PPE. Uh, yeah. So you can't get COVID if you're wearing. That. Yeah. So uh, 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. and really the um, uh, I love the Richmond is like all month. You know, from the moment you're hearing this, um, we've we've done a lot on Twitter and we'll get something out on our newsletter with all the different businesses that people were telling us we should check out. Um, mm-hmm. So plan a hike through there. The Balboas open on the weekends and usually on Wednesday. They've got their beer. They've got their popcorn. Movie popcorn when you haven't had it in nine months is so good. So They um, also sell great hoodies. I'm wearing one. Oh, cool. So I didn't wear so mine. Oh, I should have worn it. And T-shirts, um, bandanas, tote bags. They're doing an amazing job of trying to stay afloat for a movie theater that can't show movies. Yeah, so support the Richmond and um, watch our movie on February 13th. Turn it on at 7 p.m. We'll be talking on Twitter. Last time we had a big haiku battle. It was super fun. People had a good time. So We usually get our hashtags trending, so get ready <laughs> for I Punched Keanu Reeves. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Um, Vanessa, are you ready to watch... Always be my maybe one more time. Could you do it? I think so. What better way to start <laughs> off the long weekend? 
Excellent. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us. And um, again, congratulations on your success. Um, you have your Chronicle column, and, and I know you, you know, we started reporting together, but um, I think it's just so incredible how every time I turn around, you've got another piece of great news. Um, and uh, congratulations on your success, and I uh, can't wait to see the next one. Well, thank you for, it's always fun to hang out with you and Heather, and um, thanks so much for, for uh, having me on as a guest. Excellent. Thank you. Always be my maybe February 13th. Thank you both. Woohoo! You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Heather Knight and our guest, Vanessa Hua. Total SF is a production of The Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by treating yourself to a digital Chronicle edition at sfchronicle.com slash pod.